ahead and take a seat, church, for me. Uh, how are we doing this morning? We're doing well. Hey, it's a beautiful day outside, isn't it? Uh, it's a great day to be in God's house this morning. It is good to see your smiling faces. My name is Tyler. I am the youth and families pastor here at Newtown Road. If I've never met you before, I want to meet you. Um, and I, uh, I have a couple quick announcements. And then guess what? You're stuck with me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you... I've... Thank you. Thank you. I will tell Pastor Matt that when I told them they were stuck with me, they gave me a thunderous applause. They stood to their feet. And, and Yes, okay, okay. Um, uh, a couple quick announcements this morning. Uh, number one, if you are new, a guest, we are glad that you're here. Um, we're thankful that you've, you've decided to join us. And one way we can know that you are here, other than stopping by the registration table, which you already should have done, um, is we have a church app. It's called the Church Center app. And so if you uh, get to your app store and you look up Church Center app and downloaded it, there's a way to fill out a communication card on that Church Center app. That gives us information we really could use from you, and it gives you a way to stay up to date with things happening around our church. And so if you don't have the Church Center app on your phone, I want to encourage you to do that. And I won't even judge you for getting your phone out right now. Uh, secondly, okay, uh, we are, as we head into the, the fall, as we look ahead, we are going to be in need of some volunteers to help with our kids' ministry. And so Ms. Heather, Ms. Jess, they're working really hard to, um, to figure out how we can safely open and safely uh, conduct kids' ministry uh, events and activities and Sunday morning services, but we need your help. So if that's something you are interested in, I want to encourage you, pray through it, Talk to your family about it, um, and then if you have the, the, the ability and willingness to serve once a month, uh, we would love to have you. You can talk to Heather, or you can, um, you can email heather at newtownroad.org if you have information or, or questions for her. And then thirdly, uh, if you are ready and willing to, to give your tithes and your offerings this morning, which you have been so faithful in church, I'm so thankful for you, uh, we all are. There are boxes at the back, uh, you know, just right beside the door. As you exit this morning, you can drop your tithes and your offerings there. And, uh, and it's a joy to give, you know. And so it's been, it's been a joy for us to watch our church continue to give faithfully week in and week out. Wow. I don't usually give announcements. And then get into uh, the, the sermon, right? We're in Mark chapter 10 this morning, okay? I love studying God's Word. Uh, Mark chapter 10, I love this story. It's, it's fit right into the middle of the chapter. It's four verses long. I am so thankful that Chad Thompson did last week. And I get to talk about Christ's love for kids, you know? It's more, uh, never mind. Um, you know, I spoke about six weeks ago when we did a service on the lawn, and I set a record for the shortest sermon ever preached at Newtown Road, like seven minutes long. The rains came down and the floods came up. I don't know if you've ever been in that predicament before, when people are looking to you to teach them God's word, 
and it begins to rain, and you've got worship leaders and musicians who supposedly care about their guitars and stuff like that. Uh, um, you got sound equipment, and they were, this, the worship team was on the side, and they were like gearing up for a 100-yard sprint. Like they were literally like this. As soon as I told them, they were going to run up and get their instruments. Pastor Matt was standing in the back doing all kinds of crazy, like, motions. Have you ever, have you ever preached and had the lead pastor in the back going like this? Doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel good at all. I hope that never happens again. It's a tough, it's a tough one, all right? But today, I'm excited for what God has for us in Mark 10, Verses 13 through 16, and church, if we were just reading through this chapter, it would be really, really easy to read over these verses, to skim over them, and move on, which I've done many, many times. But I want to be a church that dives into God's word. I want to be a church that, uh, as I heard um, a a lady say recently, uh, that she wants to swim in God's word. And I thought about that. I thought, swim in God's word, that's kind of odd, but there's a big difference between sitting on the side of the pool and looking at the water and diving in. There's a big difference between dangling our feet over the side of uh, of the boat or the pool and jumping headfirst in and engulfing ourselves in God's word. And I want to be a church that swims in God's word. I want to be a church that is changed by the words of, of the Bible. We have a pool, uh, an above-ground pool that we got this year. We're not really pool people, um, but we, we got an above-ground pool. We thought it would be really cool, and uh, it has been. It's been great, but it gets no sun, and so it stays pretty cold, which has been really nice most days this summer, um, but it doesn't matter how hot it is outside. The, the pool stays, stays really cold, and uh, and and. Y- after a long, hard day of work, and, it, and you're sweating, and you've, you, it, you're hot, your body temperature is hot, you jump in the pool, a cold pool or lake, and you, you get out, what happens to your body temperature? It's changed, right? Like, you feel different. For the next hour, couple hours, um, you feel much better. Your temperature lowers, and, and it, you are changed by that water. Let's dive into God's word. Let's be engulfed with the truth of scripture and let's let it change us as we, as we leave, okay? Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. I've entitled the sermon, Let the Children Come to Me because that's the title that it gives us the passage in my Bible. I brought my big Bible today. It's a, it's, I feel extra spiritual when I have my big Bible as you should too. Not really. This is just a joke. Verse 13, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we love you, and we love the opportunity to grow in you, God. 
Thank you for your word and the truth from your word. I pray that, that it will change us the way we live our life. I pray that it will change our heart and our mind. We'll be transformed by your truth. Lord, I pray blessing over the service. Um, we love you, Father. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we have, uh, have seen in Mark already, we have a group of religious leaders that don't quite understand God's economy. Right? They have their own ideas of what the kingdom of God would look like, but don't quite understand uh, what God's economy and God's kingdom will really look like. And again, in this passage, I am reminded in the Gospels that the Gospel is for anyone. The Gospel, God's love, grace, forgiveness, is for all people. Now, we know that not all people will accept that free gift, right? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart, for I never knew you. We know that, that the gate is wide that leads to destruction. The gate is narrow that leads to eternal life, and few take it. We know from God's word that not everybody will accept the free gift of the gospel, but the gospel is that. It's a free gift, and it's open to everyone, and the rich or the poor, the old or the young, the male and the female, the gospel breaks down barriers. And I don't know about you this morning, but I am extremely glad that Christ didn't just die so that the, rich, the richest of the world can be saved. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm extremely glad that, that Christ didn't die so that just the most athletic and the best looking and the most popular and the influencers and the megachurch pastors and the politicians and the neighbor with three sports cars and a boat can have eternal life. He came to save sinners like you and me. He came not for the perfect, but for the weak and the marginalized and the hopeless and the helpless. I'm real glad Jesus flipped the script. You know, he does this over and over again, where he flips the script. You know, the disciples just asked him, you know, who's going to be the greatest? What did Jesus say? Anyone who comes in first place will be the greatest. No, he didn't. He said, if you want to be greatest in my kingdom, you have to come in last and you have to serve. He says, uh, when he talks about the cost of discipleship, you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. He said, the first will be last. He says, to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. When the culture says, don't talk to a Samaritan, what does Jesus do? He sits down at the well and he talks to a Samaritan. God's kingdom didn't look like the kingdom the religious leaders or even the disciples had in mind. We see this uh, in this passage, Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 13 and 16. You know, I went golfing with Pastor Matt a couple weeks ago. And that's all I'll say about that. That's an experience. If you've never been golfing with Pastor Matt, I would encourage you to do so. Um, that is an experience in and of itself. We went to a country club that let us in. Can you believe it? 
this country club uh, had a deal running, so we, we went. I was reminded on that day that uh, clubs and organization and businesses oftentimes have, um, uh, they have entry requirements. They have dress code requirements. They have athleticism requirements at times. There's gender requirements, wealth requirements, age requirements. And each case is, uh, uh, has to do with status. And your status or your relative standing in comparison to others around you. And Jesus, like he does in all those other situations, he, he turns human evaluation upside down and makes entry into his kingdom dependent upon none of the things that, often use, that are often used to signify status or significance. He flips it around. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. We are presuming here that those who are bringing the children to Jesus are going to be parents, maybe older siblings. And the word used for children, Luke, uh, Luke uses the word for babies. Okay, so these are young children, possibly up to ages three or four. These are young children. We don't know the names of the parents or the older siblings. All we know is that they have made a decision to bring the young children to Jesus, to be touched by Jesus. For a blessing of Jesus. We, um, this isn't uncommon in, in this time. We specifically see it in the Old Testament where we see uh, patriarchs and, and uh, families that bring their young children to be blessed by the rabbi. We see Joseph bringing his son to be blessed. We see Isaac bringing his son to be blessed. This is a, a prayer of blessing where the father and the elders would lay their hands on the head of the child and bless them. And here we're seeing parents bringing their children to be touched and blessed by Jesus. I'm reminded that, that Jesus' touch is powerful. Okay? Jesus' touch is powerful. He often did things through touch. He healed by touch. Right? We see over and over in the New Testament, the touch of Jesus is a powerful thing. And to the scribes and Pharisees, this was crazy. They wouldn't have touched children. They wouldn't have touched people. Why? Because it would have defiled them. But not to Jesus. Jesus is willing to touch them, to bless them. And really, church, we could stop here as we see a, a older generation of parents or older siblings or guardians of some sort ushering the young ones to the feet of Jesus. We could preach on that. Are we doing what we can to usher our kids and the younger generation to the feet of Jesus? Are we doing what we can to make sure that our kids have an experience and an encounter with the risen Lord? Are we bringing them to Jesus? So these families were bringing their children to Jesus Kids have a way of, uh, of revealing a lot in us. Um, 
As, uh, as John Piper says, children are the litmus paper to expose the presence of pride. This is evident here because we, we can see that the hearts of the disciples are absolutely exposed. What was the disciples' response when people are bringing kids to Jesus to be blessed by him? Yes, come. He's changed our life. He can change yours. No. That should have been the response. If it was, we, could, we probably could have, could have painted this beautiful picture of this story. If you take the first part of, of verse 13 and the end part of verse 16, it says, um, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Isn't that beautiful? That's not what happened because of the pride of the disciples. Now, we know that Jesus has a soft spot for kids, don't we? Over and over, he has his ministry to children, his love for children, his affection for children. He cared about children. We see that, obviously, he was born a child. He healed a child of um, the child of a foreign woman in Matthew 15. He cast a demon out of a child in Matthew 17. He raised a child from the dead in Mark 5. He used a child's loaves and fishes to feed, feed thousands of people in John 6. He said you should become like a child in Matthew 18. When he came, the children cried, Hosanna, in Matthew 21. He, he predicted the terrible days when fathers would give their children up to death, Mark 13. And he says in Mark 9, which we just looked at a couple weeks ago, that if you receive a child in my name, you receive him and the one who sent him. I'm reminded as a church that it is, uh, it is our calling and our mission to partner with parents to help our kids know and follow Jesus. We want to do everything we can to come alongside you as you disciple your kids. But you are the primary missionaries in the life of your children. You are the ones that are discipling your kids. And what, a, what an amazing honor. And one of the highest callings in life, and that is to train up our child in the way they should go. Are you doing what you can at home to usher your children to the feet of Jesus? COVID, um, COVID doesn't really build our character. It reveals it, doesn't it? <laughs> and when it comes to our family, this COVID season and quarantine has been a, a great revealer of areas that we need to work on, church. Areas where our families need to work on. Areas that, that our marriages need to work on. And as a parent, it has been a great revealer in my life of the pride in my life. I, I'm not far from the disciples. But Jesus loved these kids. The disciples rebuked them. They stood in their way. They, this, this word is a, a strong word used here. For, it's, it's a word used for scolded or reprimanded. They, they, they almost literally punished these parents for bringing their kids to Jesus. Why'd they do this? I think uh, maybe, maybe their, 
maybe Jesus was tired. Maybe they thought Jesus was too busy. Maybe they thought that, that he was too important. Regardless of, of, of that, I mean, they definitely didn't think children were important enough to be in the presence of Jesus at this moment. You see, their religious worldview was such that children had no place before God until they arrived at a point where they could do certain things that would gain the favor of God. See, children didn't fit into their system. And the beautiful picture of the gospel should have been so clear here. That grace and that forgiveness and that blessing is extended to those who can't earn it. It wasn't because of the disciples. See, it wasn't Jesus, but his disciples that were keeping people from experiencing the Savior. It wasn't Jesus, but his followers that were hindering people from coming and experiencing Jesus. I could sit here a long time, church. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that in our um, desire to do good, oftentimes we stand in the way of people who want to see Jesus. It was Jesus' followers, not Jesus, that turned them away. And what was Jesus' response? Verse 14, when he saw it, he was indignant. That's that's another strong word meaning irate or angry. Jesus was angry that his disciples would respond to these families and these kids in that way. And he said to them, let the children, or permit the children, or allow the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for, so, for such belongs the kingdom of God. I love how Mark never softens the human emotions of Jesus. And he, he's really, um, he's very candid about the, the failings of the disciples, isn't he? Uh, here he's very candid about, about where the disciples fall short. They were wrong. Jesus, Jesus didn't punish or uh, Jesus didn't get upset at the parents. Jesus got upset at the disciples. They had done something wrong. And this wasn't a minor issue. This wasn't a breeze over it issue. This was wrong. And Jesus was angry. It's it's almost the same um, feeling that we get when Peter tries to keep Jesus or tries to to almost save Jesus from his future suffering and death and Jesus says to him that he doesn't have the mind of uh, or the things of God but the things of men. Do you remember that? This This is the same thing. The disciples didn't understand the kingdom of God as Jesus was teaching. They had in mind the things of men, not the things of God. And Jesus was indignant. Luke highlights that uh, Jesus called the parents to come to him, meaning most likely the parents and the kids had already turned to walk away at this point. And Jesus calls them back. 
and he begins to clean up a mess that the disciples made. I have to clean up messes in my house all the time. Actually, my wife cleans up more messes than I do, so I shouldn't take all the credit. Every, every night at dinner time, my boys leave messes. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. No matter how much I try to teach them, they leave messes. And it's never my mess. Always their mess. And then there I am, or my wife, to clean up their mess. Jesus has to come behind the disciples and clean up a mess that they have made. He says, let the children come to me. He scolds the disciples and invites the children because Jesus was never too busy or too focused or too spiritual to spend time with children. This may be a really good time to highlight again that we need volunteers in our kids' ministry if you are interested. Don't hinder them, he says. Don't be a barrier between me and them. Don't stand in the way. Don't create unnecessary barriers. Don't stop them from being brought to me. Jesus wanted the children to come to him because the kingdom of God belongs to the least of these. Church, I don't believe this is the main point of the passage. But I believe it's somewhere we've got to, we've got to, to talk about for a second. And that's, are we, are we being bridges to Jesus? Are we being barriers to Jesus? Are you a bridge or are you a barrier from people around you seeing and experiencing and being blessed by the grace, love, and forgiveness of Christ? Is what you say to others a bridge or a barrier to Jesus? Is the way you talk to your children or your spouse a bridge or a barrier for others to come to Jesus? Is your work ethic a, a bridge or a barrier to Jesus? Is your driving a bridge or a barrier to Jesus? I'm getting better with my driving. But recently, I, I, as I get older, actually, my patience is running thinner and thinner. Okay? And, uh, yes, thank you for that. Amen. Um, and recently, I pulled up to this light, and this lady made me really mad. I probably even sh shouldn't even say lady, because um, that doesn't matter. But this person makes me mad, and... I just couldn't believe it. And, I, and like, I couldn't believe what they were doing. And I was impatient. And I was stopped at a red light. And I was like, and she was mad at me because I had gone too far. I got stopped by this light. I trickled too far beyond the line. I did. It was an accident. Then she was trying to turn left and, like, she struggled. And we locked eyes. Oh, man, did we lock eyes. And I've stopped doing this. You know why? Because she was one of you. She goes to this church. <laughs> and as soon as I locked eyes, I did one of these things. <laughs> and I decided that I would, I got to clean up my driving, right? I got to clean up my driving. Because I don't want to be a barrier to the gospel. It's my reaction to the umpires at my kids' games. A bridge to the gospel or a barrier to the gospel? 
Is what I do on weekends a bridge to the, to the gospel or a barrier? Is my patriotism or my political beliefs a bridge to the gospel or a barrier to the gospel? Is the way I portray my perfect life on social media a bridge or a barrier to the gospel? Is the way I react to trials in my life or the way I treat others who see things different than me or the way I conduct myself on social media or the email I write to my my kid's teacher, are these things bridges or barriers to the gospel? This wasn't Jesus turning parents away. This was his followers turning people away. Have Have you ever hiked up to the top of a mountain with a desire to see the beauty at the top of the mountain only to get to the top and see fog. It's disappointing, isn't it? It's disappointing to work so hard to know that at the end of it is something so beautiful and so, something so grand, and then you get to the top and you can't see a thing. You know it's there, but you can't see a thing because of the fog or the clouds or whatever it is. Church, we cannot be the fog that keeps people from seeing a true picture of the gospel. He says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I believe Jesus is now getting into the main point of this small passage. That children in their dependence exemplify the characteristics of those who possess God's kingdom. For to such is these. Not necessarily children. Those who receive the kingdom are the ones who have a dependence on, who understand their need for, and are humbly coming to Christ. You see, children receive what is given to them on no merit of their own, right? They are completely and utterly dependent on the giver, not themselves. They can in no way take care or save themselves. They have done nothing deserving of salvation, yet in the Father's love that accepts and blesses him, he invites them. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel and arguably one of the most beautiful pictures of grace in all the New Testament. In order to enter the kingdom of God, a person must have the trust and dependence that is characteristic of a little child. A trust and dependence upon Christ. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The weak and the helpless and even the unimportant. And our contemporary views of children seem to hinder our grasp of this concept. Um, They would have understood this. This is crazy. But we struggle because of the importance that we place on our kids. Jesus is not saying that children are cute and cuddly and the center of our attention. So if you could be more cute and cuddly, you have a place in my kingdom. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. Children are cute, they are cuddly, but they are not, they're not innocent. 
If you think they are, you don't know children. Um, They're small and they're weak and they're helpless and they're at the bottom of the social order. They don't vote. They don't have driver's license. They're not asked about big decisions in life or significant events. They are taken to the physician. They don't make that decision their own. They are without claim or without merit, small, helpless. It's no wonder why they are so warmly received by Jesus. In contrast to the rebuke of the disciples, they are the epitome of the needy. They wake up in the morning and are entirely dependent on another to provide nourishment, to provide care, to provide cleanliness. They're hungry. They're lonely. Oftentimes, a child needs a light in their bedroom at night because they're scared without it. The kingdom of God belongs to people like this. People who are needy, who are helpless, have no claim of themselves. It belongs to those who have zero status. We can't attempt to earn the kingdom of God as a reward. It's not about our achieving or our works. It's about our accepting through faith, not what we have done, but what Jesus has done for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Next week, we see the story of Nicodemus, the rich young ruler, who, in contrast to these kids, he asks what it takes to get into heaven. But he has everything the world would deem uh, status-filled. He has it all. Yet, Jesus squashes that, doesn't he? Mark 10 16, he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. In a striking act, showing his love for them, in spite of the disciples, not because of them. Jesus takes the little ones up in his arms. He embraces them and he blesses them. And in so doing, he shows the disciples what it means to care for people. The word here is the Greek word used to bless fervently. It was an intense blessing. It was, his blessing was overflowing, and his love for children was overflowing in that moment. So what? So what? What a cool passage. Highlighting the family's desire for the kids to be blessed, the disciples' failings, Jesus' love for kids. So what? And the first thing, church, that, that I want to go back to is that parent, a parent's role in the life of their child is vitally important. I mean, you know that. But we are to be stewards of the gift of our children. And we are the primary missionaries in the lives of our children. 
if at any point we believe that they will be fixed at church or they will be fixed uh, in front of that YouTube video or they will be fixed at school, like, this is wrong. It is your job to usher them to the feet of Jesus. It is your job to provide opportunities where they can experience the life in Jesus' name. Serve with them. Take advantage of every teachable moment. Speak truth to them. Discipline them in love. Show them the error of their ways. Model to them what it looks like. You want to be a hindrance to your kids knowing and following Jesus? Live differently on Sunday than you do the rest of the week. I've worked with quite a few students, and one of the biggest hindrances that students have to pursuing a personal relationship with Jesus is parents who live one way at home and a different way on Sunday morning. If you want to be a hindrance to your your children, number two, don't make church a priority. Don't make church a priority. I'm not going to make any friends by saying this. Okay? Church is important. The assembly of God's people together as a community, building each other up, loving each other, and growing together is vital to our kids' walk with Christ. And I'm not against sports and drama and days off and and lake trips and, and vacations. I'm not against any of that. But don't let it be normalized in your family. The moment you make it normal and okay to go to church when you feel like it's right, in perfect situations, that's the moment that your kids grow up thinking that church is not important. And that that it's okay to, if anything else is going on, it's okay not to be there. Church family, like, I love you. I want your kids to be involved, but they've got to see it in the way that, that that you run your family. If you want to be a hindrance, number three, don't be accessible. Don't be accessible. If you want to be, if you want to hinder your kids from knowing and following Jesus, don't allow them to come to you. Put up barriers. Lock your doors. Like, don't don't want to talk to them. I've learned during quarantine that like. One of the greatest ways I can clear the fog so that my kids can see Jesus is to show them a father that is there for them. A father that is accessible when they need me. Is accessible anytime that, that they need something or they're like I'm there because the veil was torn. What used to separate me from the love of the Father is torn through Jesus' sacrifice. And so if I want to portray and, and, and clarify and, and allow my kids to see a heavenly Father that is always there for them, as a dad, I have got to be there for them. 
first so what is, is just a reminder that our parents' role is important. Uh, number two, church, let's be bridges, not barriers to the gospel. The people we come into contact with, to our families, to our neighbors, are we bridges or are we barriers to the gospel? And on the other side of that, I want to speak for a second to, to those who have been disillusioned by people who claim to be Christians who have done something or said something or wronged you in some way that have hindered you from coming to Christ. Please rest assured that Jesus is right there wanting to embrace you. That Jesus is there in spite of what someone said or what someone did to you or what, or, or what the church uh, uh, somehow acted towards you or what you learned. Like, dis, in spite of all that, Jesus is there and he wants to embrace you. I'm so glad we don't worship men, but we worship Jesus. Please don't let what someone said or did or the actions of a church or the failures of a pastor, or the mistakes of a parent block you from experiencing Christ. If Jesus were here, he would say, come to me, always. No matter what you're going through, no matter who you are, no matter what social standing. And then number three, lastly, the kingdom of God is not for the proud. It's not for the proud, it's not for the arrogant. Anyone who wants to enter the kingdom must come as a child. Simple, trusting, weak, dependent, humbly. If you don't come like that, you don't enter the kingdom. There's nothing that a baby does to merit salvation or the kingdom of God. It is a gift of grace, not by works of righteousness which you've done. According to his mercy, he saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. None of us are good enough. None of us have the social standing, the clout, the merit, the followers, the popularity, the good deeds. None of us in here are deserving of the grace and love and embrace of a Savior. But he offers it to us. And for those who accept that offer, it's the humble. It's the meek. It's those who understand they've done nothing to deserve it. It's those who understand they're in need of a Savior that they've wronged God, that they've sinned, that they've fallen short and are in need of a Savior to lift them up, to open their eyes, that they can't do it on their own, that it's Jesus' powerful working, his death, burial, resurrection, his sacrifice for us on the cross, taking our place. This is the message of the gospel. As Christ embraces those kids who have done nothing to deserve his blessing, so he will embrace you who have done nothing to deserve his blessing.
May we come to him like a child. May we be bridges and not barriers to others. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Father, we love you. We praise you for who you are. Father, in our effort to do good, either knowingly or unknowingly, forgive us for standing in the way and hindering others from coming to you. Lord, help, help what we say, what we type, what we think to, be, to clear the way for you to work. And Lord, I pray that you will work in spite of us. Lord, may we come to you as well. May we come to you as children with a childlike faith, knowing that we need you, knowing that it's not about what we've done, but about what your son did. Father, if there's anyone in here this morning that for some reason or another has never felt your embrace, has never turned their life to you, has never repented and given you their life, accepting your gift of salvation through faith. I pray that this morning will be the morning they do that. Church, even right now in your seats, if that's something that you've never done, I pray that that this will be a decision that you make. That you say, God, I can't, I've tried. I've tried to do it on my own, and I can't. I need you, Father. Take my life. Forgive me for, for what I've done. I need you to wash me white as snow. Father, be, be honored and glorified in the way we live our lives. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.